Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. Welcome to episode 23 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Today I have a really great interview with Lindsay Brackett. Lindsay is a writer of beautiful words, and we talk about that a lot in this podcast. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet Lindsay probably about a year and a half ago, Um, and uh, she since then has uh, worked on her first novel. Her debut novel actually comes out this week. It's being released on September 8th, 2017. Um, So we talk about her uh, novel writing, her fiction writing. She also writes a great blog um, and writes some columns for some local newspapers and things like that. Um, So we talk a bunch about her writing practice, uh, but also... We get into some really interesting conversations uh, about forgiveness, um, because that's one of the key themes in her book, which is called Still Waters, by the way. Um, Forgiveness is one of her key themes that that she dives into uh, in her novel and explores, and uh, you'll hear kind of near the end of the interview as well, a future project that she's working on that still kind of has that core theme of forgiveness and grace at the center of it, of it all. Uh, so yeah, um, there's lots in here. And we also do a bit of talking as well, just about how fiction and different genres as well can help people enter into a deeper understanding of God. Uh, of grace and theological ideas. And sometimes fiction sort of connects with us in a different sort of way than uh, other kinds of reading or listening to sermons or even reading parts of scripture. Uh, We talked about the diversity of God's communication as well and the way God communicates in diverse ways, even in the Bible, but also through other people and other writing. Um, So we talk a bunch about that. Um, And then Lindsay really shares a lot personally as well toward the end of the interview about what spirituality is like in her own family and how she uh, spends time connecting with God uh, and what that really looks like in a very busy household where she homeschools her children. And um, it's just, uh, it's a really rich part of the interview uh, toward the end, um, talking about her own uh, ways that she connects with God. Uh, So I really hope you enjoy uh, this interview coming up. Uh, I also wanted to mention to you today that uh, this past Sunday, and most of you know I'm a a pastor and a preacher, um, and this past Sunday I was uh, preaching about uh, Jeremiah, the first chapter of Jeremiah actually, and my sermon was called Do Not Say I Am Only. And I just wondered maybe if there might be some people out there listening who um, might benefit from hearing that message as well. Uh, God in Jeremiah chapter 1 appears to Jeremiah and tells him that he knew him uh, before he was being formed in the womb, which is a pretty remarkable thing to say. So before you existed, I knew you, God says to Jeremiah. And And then he says, and I've appointed you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah's response to that is to say, oh, I I don't think I can do that. It's basically what Jeremiah says, for I am only a boy. And so in my message that I preached this past Sunday, kind of talked a little bit about how we respond to God's call on our lives and that God comes to us and says, you know, I've known you since the beginning. I've created you the way that you have been created as the person that you are. And I'm calling you to be the person that I've created you to be. I want you to live into that. And so often we'll say, I, I can't do that for I am only and whatever it is. I mean, for Jeremiah, it was only a boy or only a child. I'm too young. Um, but we might have a lot of I am only's in our life. 
And uh, I'm not going to re-preach the whole message. If you are interested at all in kind of hearing more about that and trying to kind of understand what it might mean to hear God's call in your life and uh, and respond to that call and take a step in courage to follow through on what God is asking you to do in your life, um, you can find that that message, that sermon uh, on Facebook. The easiest way is actually to search on Facebook uh, for Prairie Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg, and you can find the Prairie page. You can like the page if you want, and um, and you can scroll down and look at the videos and find the one that was for September 3rd. I would also uh, love it if you could follow me on social media. I'm pretty active on Facebook and on Instagram. And uh, I think you can just find those at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. And I'd love to hear from you by email as well, or if you want to leave comments on the podcast episodes on the website, you're welcome to do that. You can also support this podcast financially, and that uh, means a ton to me. I'm so thankful for those who have, uh, that are giving support uh, financially to this podcast. Um, That's going to help this stay on as a podcast long term. It helps pay for hosting and also some equipment costs that I'm going to have. Uh, So if you're able to help out with that, even just for one or two dollars per episode, um, it's uh, it's a pretty uh, small amount of support to to give. So uh, if you're interested in doing that, you can go to my Patreon page, um, but it's actually probably just easiest to go to the show notes, um, which for today is spiritualityfornormalpeople.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And that'll take you right to this episode. And there's links there to follow me on social media and also a link to the Patreon page and all kinds of links connected to some of the things that we've talked about today, including uh, Lindsay's book. Uh, So we'll just move straight to the interview now. And I just want to thank you again for listening today. Today on the podcast, I have Lindsay Brackett. Lindsay, I'm so glad to have you on today. Thanks, Matthew. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I I really wanted to talk to you um, because we met uh, at the Blue Ridge uh, Writers Conference a little while back, not this past one, but the one before, Mm -hmm. and then just kind of ran across each other's paths and followed each other's writing. So um, yeah, I just thought it would be great to have a conversation about writing and also about spirituality and sort of what you do in your spiritual life and how you connect with God. Um, And I would love to start, I was reading on your... Uh, website on your about page. Um, and uh, I know you write a column called Just Write Life. Mm-hmm. And um, and I like the way that's introduced on your about page. So I'm just going to read that out and then I can ask you uh, my question here. It says, uh, these are the words the Lord whispered upon my heart when I searched and sought and tried to put myself into a box, a platform, a cliche that wouldn't close. Just Write Life all its messy, mundane magnificence. Um, so t- tell me more about that. And and really, what do you write about? Um, well, I write about everything, um, which is why I had a really hard time fitting into a niche. I don't, you know, there's food bloggers and mom bloggers and travel bloggers, and I want to write about all of those things. <laughs> I don't want to write about um, just one thing. And everybody was talking about branding and all that sort of thing, and it really became very, very overwhelming when I was in the process, um, my blog used to be called uh, Random Acts of Bracket or Random Acts of Motherhood in Everyday Life. And then when I rebranded it to make it a little more simple, I had a really hard time trying to like box it. And so I just, I've been praying about it and struggling with it. And finally, I really just felt like I was playing around with this idea of playing off the word right and playing off the idea that we all want this right as in perfect, as in the way we think it's supposed to be life. And, um, and that just kind of, it just came to me. And I really feel like God was saying, you know, you don't have to box yourself, like just be the person you are right the way you are and let me take care of the rest. So that's kind of what I did. Um, I really just write about, I love to write about the everyday ordinary, um, how something as small as like the tomato plants we grow on the back porch and the 
what the spiritual significance is that I see in that, what I see um, with my children, with that daily experience of motherhood and what I learn about grace and being humbled and how I think that you will never realize how flawed and sinful you are (laughs) until you have children. Um, They bring it out in you. In fact, I have a daughter who told me recently, uh, my book, my novel went up for pre-order and people were telling me they'd ordered it. And she said, mom, those are your friends. So it doesn't count. (laughs) And it was like, oh, knife to the heart. (sighs) But at the same time, I was kind of like, but I mean, it counts, yes, toward the numbers and toward the income and toward, but at the same time, I do, I want to reach more than just my friends, obviously. Hmm. And so, you know, just things like that, that what I, what I learned from those tiny moments with my kids and then how God uses those to redefine my life and help me appreciate it and value it. Um, and the blog is kind of transitioning now into my debut with the fiction world. So there may be some like different kind of posts. There may be some stuff about, specifically how I write and my process and things like that. But there probably won't be a lot of that. And it's because, you know, my blog isn't giant, but I've got a lot of people who have been really loyal to me for a long time. And even though I don't post as consistently and I don't post as prolifically as I once did, they follow me. And when I do post something, they read it. And I think they have a kind of now an expectation of, without even meaning to, I've, I've branded myself in a certain way. And so I think they have an expectation of what they're looking for and they aren't coming to my blog to read about how to be a writer. They're coming to my blog to read about what I'm writing about my life and what I'm learning from it. And so a lot of what you see on the blog is a lot of the same kind of things that I write about. I write um, weekly for a couple of local newspapers here. Um, It's a syndicated column. And so a lot of what I write about for the newspaper is a lot of the same kind of thing I write about on the blog. Um, Last week I wrote about... I had a mentor, a friend of mine, an older woman in our community that everybody knows. Everybody calls her Miss Mary. She teaches the cotillion classes, which do y'all, do y'all have cotillion up north? I don't even know. In Canada, uh, well, you have cotillion. I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask, but I, I you know what they are. Okay. I don't know whether we so, have them. Well, no. down south is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, she teaches these cotillion classes, and she was talking to me about how you um, – you teach from the overflow that that's something her daddy said to her Mm -hmm. once that you teach from the overflow, the things you love and it just comes out of you naturally. So I wrote this whole, you know, article about it and it wasn't anything huge or giant. Like I'm not writing about politics and social things that are so hot button right now in our society. I'm just, I'm writing about the things I'm learning about. And I think they, they apparently resonate with a lot of people. And um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for for the opportunity that God has given me to do something I never thought that I would would do. I always wanted to be a writer, but, you know, blogging didn't exist when I was a kid saying I wanted to be a writer. So, right, right. <laughs> so it's a whole different kind of thing now. I think too, like for me, what is striking, like when I've gone and read things that you've written, um, like the, the writing itself is beautiful. Like oh, that's... Thank you. That to me is also what helps people draw. Uh, that is, is certainly what will draw some people in um, to to want to read more of what you've written. Um, so some of it is the subject matter, I think, and just that. Here's what I observe. Like I think some of that, some of the writers that are the best writers are those who are really just looking at what they observe about their life and being able to put that into beautiful language that others can then enter into that and learn something from it as well. And I think that's kind of what I see in what you've, what you've done in your blog, at least what I've been able to read. Um, so I've really appreciated that. And, uh, and so I hope people go and, and check out the blog and um, whether they're looking for uh, information about your novel or whether they're looking for uh, um, just some, some great writing to read. Um, now we've kind of kind of mentioned your novel already, so maybe we should just uh, we should just get that out of the way and and talk about that. Um, and uh, I would love to uh, hear a little bit about it. Um, it's called Still Waters, mm-hmm. and um, and maybe my listeners, there might be a few listeners out there who will want to go and check it out too. So maybe just tell us a bit about that. Okay, um, Still Waters is my debut novel, and it's kind of subtitled or not subtitled, but that tagline pitch is that it's a a low country story about the power of family and forgiveness. And uh, it takes place on Edisto Island, South Carolina, specifically on Edisto Beach, which is a real place, which I think is a 
it's a huge deal in the book that the setting itself is almost a character in and of the story. Edisto has a culture and a pace that is, that is unique and it is very much its own. And, um, it's where my mother grew up, um, 45 minutes from Edisto Beach. She grew up in Colleton County, South Carolina in Walterboro. And so I just always wanted to set a book there. And it's a story that, you know, it's my first novel. And I just, when I first started writing it, all I knew really was that I wanted to write this story that was set on Edisto Island and that had a grandmother because that reminded me of my grandmother who passed away when I was a child. And so, um, obviously the, the structure of it and the writing of it took a, it took a long time. I had to learn a lot and I had to learn a lot about, um, really how to write a novel. It's a lot more complicated than I think people think. And, um, so I learned a lot about stakes and raising those and making it a, a compelling and intriguing story. And I, again, had a really hard time fitting into a genre. Um, and when, and basically what we settled on was it's, it's Southern literary fiction. They're marketing it as women's fiction. And I'm going to give you the blurb in just a second. Cause people are probably like, stop talking and tell us what it's actually about. Um, <laughs> um, but it is, it's, it's my goal for it really was to, um, evoke this sense of place, this sense that it, a place that is a tranquility, that is a respite, that is, um, Edisto is a retreat for so many people. And I wanted to explore the idea of what happens when your retreat becomes almost a prison, a place where you feel like you have to be rather than a place you want to be. And so, um, I'm gonna give you the back cover blurb for it, but this is, so this is, if you go to Amazon, this is what it says. Um, Cora Ann Halloway has a history degree and a plan for avoiding her own past, despite being waitlisted for graduate school. Then her beloved grandmother requests and her dispassionate mother insists she spend the summer at Stillwaters, the family cottage on Edisto Beach. Despite its picturesque setting, Stillwaters haunts her with loss. Here her grandfather died, her parents' marriage disintegrated, and as a child, she caused a tragic drowning. But lingering among the oak canopies and gentle tides, this place also tempts her with forgiveness, especially since Nan hired Tennessee Watson to oversee cottage repairs. A local contractor, but dedicated to the island's preservation from development, Tennessee offers her friendship and more if she can move beyond her guilt over his father's death. When her family reunion brings to light Nan's failing health, Cora Ann discovers how far Tennessee will go to protect her and Edisto from more desolation. Now she must choose between a life driven by guilt or one washed clean by the tides of grace. Mm. So it's, um, you've got your love story and you've got, um, you've got a lot of family dynamics and it's just really a, ultimately a story about forgiveness and how, not how we have to seek the forgiveness of others, but how we have to accept the forgiveness of others. Um, because the, the beginning of the story, he tells her, you know, I've never harbored any guilt for you over what happened. You were a kid and you went in the water and my dad tried to save you and he drowned. It was an accident. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she just can't move past it. Right. Can't move past the guilt. And so. Yeah. Where did, um, like, I know so, like you talked about a bit of the inspiration kind of being mm-hmm. the place and, uh, your grandmother as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the sort of the themes, the overarching themes of the book? I like, that's what I want to move towards. Cause I think there's yeah. maybe a connection there for, you know, what does this mean for spirituality? Absolutely. Um, particularly around grace and forgiveness. So where did that come from for you? I guess is what I'm interested in. Um, and you know, that's, that's a great question because I've noticed as I have worked on some other projects and written other stories and jotted down outlines for other novels that I come back, I circle back to that idea of forgiveness over and over and over again. And I think it comes from my own personal need to believe that I'm worthy of it, that we all have this. I think a lot of us have, um, especially those of us with perfectionist tendencies, Mm -hmm. um, have a hard time with, well, I did all the things right. Like I checked all the boxes and I followed all the rules. So why then am I not rewarded with this quote unquote perfect Christian life? You know, what, what have I done wrong? And I think it goes back to that idea of um, when you have that kind of personality, which I do, you have a hard time truly grasping forgiveness. Like I have never caused someone to die. I have never... Um, like, I mean, I've, 
I've always been that, that good girl. And so, um, I, I think for me, the more I explore the idea of forgiveness and how far can you go before someone is unwilling to forgive you? And the realization that with God, you, you 70 times seven, there is, you can go to the ends of the earth and he is going to forgive you no matter what you have done. Um, so for me, I think I just circle, I constantly circle back around to that theme because it's something I'm constantly trying to understand for myself and to, to grasp and believe each and every day that, um, I'm worthy of it. I'm worthy of forgiveness and I'm worthy of love and I'm worthy of grace. And so I just so desperately want to convey that to other people who think, well, there's no way that anybody could ever love me in this place where I am. So, yeah. And I think there's a, like, there's a tricky balance. Um, like the word worthy, I think is, is, is kind of a tricky word mm-hmm. um, because we might not even quite understand what that is, let alone understand what the word grace or what the concept of grace yes. is really about. Um, yes. And I think like for me, my immediate reaction is to say, well, actually, you know, the fact that grace to me says you're actually not worthy of forgiveness, but God gives it to you anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. and so that's like, wow, that's even better because there are some mm-hmm. people where like, I might look at something that I've done in my life and I think, yeah, I, I don't, I don't deserve to be forgiven for that. Like that's mm-hmm. to me, what is the core of forgiveness? It's not because I've been such a good person in other areas of my life that now I've somehow earned forgiveness for this, for this other area right. Um, right. or to extreme levels, like in your mm-hmm. book, mm-hmm. um, you know, being responsible for the death of another person or even worse being in, you know, intentionally doing that, which is not in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of, well, you're, you probably don't really, you don't really deserve anything. Um, right. you know, you probably deserve uh, prison or you deserve <laughs> like, and we've got yeah. systems to take care of mm-hmm. that. But God's grace to me says, you know, even in, even though we, we don't deserve it, it's offered anyway. And to right. me, that's, that, that's kind of the pinnacle of grace is that God just kind of offers, uh, offers that, uh, yeah. offers his love, even when we don't deserve it, really. Exactly. Um, now, I also think, this is why I think worthy is a tricky word, is that for me, my understanding is that, that Christ makes us worthy. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we yes. are worthy. And the fact that we are simply children mm-hmm. of God, I mean, whether people are followers of Jesus or not, everyone is created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways that we have a sense of worth and a sense of worthiness to us right from that. It's for me, the problem comes in is when we, and I do this too, cause I'm the same kind of person that will look at my life and think, Oh, you know, why aren't things working out? And I'm, yeah. I've done everything right. Um, but we, like, I, I kind of feel like we will, uh, think that, I, I'm somehow, my actions are what are, what are bringing my worthiness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And oh, really yeah. God is saying, no, 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 you're mm-hmm. worthy because you're my child mm-hmm. and you're my creation. That's what mm-hmm. makes you worthy. Exactly. And your actions are covered in Christ. Exactly. Uh, so it, anyway, that's, I, that's just my, I, well, you'll, if you say the right things, you'll get a sermon from the preacher. So <laughs> I am happy to have <laughs> a, a sermon from the preacher. <laughs> One of these days we're going to come visit your church in Canada. It's going to be, oh, that'd be awesome. We Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Um, can I, I, I would love to talk more about uh, your book too. And maybe that'll just come out naturally. Cause it's kind of yeah. like just part of your, part of your life. Um, it's all consuming but, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but maybe we could just kind of talk about what, what do you, like, how do you understand what spirituality is and, and maybe also just how that, um, how your writing also intersects with your following of Jesus or, or your own personal spirituality. Okay. Um, it was so funny that you put that question there and I was jotting down ideas like notes and things. And I said, you know, I don't think I do understand spirituality. So that's why I follow people who seem to have more of a grasp. <laughs> Matthew. Now I think it's, um, and I think it's one of those words that culturally has been shifted and changed. So we have a hard time. I know for me in the Bible belt of the American South, um, if you tell someone you are spiritual, what that generally means is that you don't believe in Jesus. You believe in all the things. And so um, it has kind of almost a negative connotation in my culture. And so 
so I've, I've kind of was wrestling like with what do I understand about it? Like what does it mean? And I really came to the conclusion that for me, spirituality is about seeking fellowship with God. It's about see, trying to see him in my everyday. And, mm-hmm. and of course, I think we talked a little bit about how that does intersect with my writing is I'm trying to see, I, I, I see things happen and my mind, or I experience something and my mind automatically goes to what is God trying to teach me with this? And so I'm sorry. Um, my kids are like thumping. <laughs> so, um, so for me, I think spirituality is, it's all about that, that seeking that oneness that I think we're constantly drawn to wanting, whether you, whether you have it or not, or whether you believe in Jesus or not, we are all created with a need for the connection to the spiritual. We, we are, God put that in us because he wanted to have a relationship with us. And so for me, I, I understand it as that, that, that coming into like, how can I find, like, how can I find God? How can I see God? What, what is he trying to teach me here? Um, and then there's some, you know, the, the ways I go about that, I think. You said you weren't an expert, but this is like a fantastic <laughs> answer. <so. laughs> well, thank you. It's really good. <laughs> thank you. Um, so I, um, for me, Personally, again, it, it's that constant practice of of seeing the everyday, of recognizing that every day is a gift, recognizing that every moment, you know, that that God can use that to teach me something. Um, and when I began to recognize that, I think my life took on a different kind of perspective um, in a lot of ways. Um, and then, therefore, I the overflow of that was, was the writing was this need to put this down and try to understand it myself and try to explain it in a way that, um, that, that people who weren't raised the way I was raised, who weren't um, brought up in a church, who don't have a lot of spiritual ease as their natural um, language. I I just wanted to put it down in a way that they could experience it and could understand it. Um, Mm. And it just became, I mean, I kind of, I kind of hate to use the word ministry because then I feel like that kind of turns people off. Um, but it just, it's, it's my gift. It's my, it's, it's what I give, what I give back to the world. I want to give back to the people that, that I know and I love who do not believe what I believe, but whom I sincerely hope will always look at their relationship with me and see, you know, Lindsay is someone I can go to if I have these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always been one of my, my hopes. So I, I really like that. And I think um, like I was talking with someone recently about um, I, prior to writing a, a book myself, I, I had always kind of seen uh, books or articles or blog posts. I'd kind of seen them almost as artifacts. Like I'd, I wasn't thinking about who had written them <laughs> and, yeah. um, and that there's, and now I kind of look at, I'm in a conversation with somebody. So I read a book, Mm -hmm. I'm in conversation with that author and, you know, it could be across time and space. Um, And uh, I think that kind of connects with what you're saying in a way uh, that when you're, when you're writing, you're actually thinking about your readers. Like you're not thinking about just, it's not just for you, just the expression, Mm -hmm. but also it's about the community and it's about communicating in such a way that people Mm -hmm. who maybe don't know about God or would not think about God in their regular everyday life are able to find that through something that you have written. Um, and that's a blessing to them. And, um, you know, I understand your hesitation to maybe use the word ministry too. Uh, but ministry is just serving, right? Like in a way you're just saying like, this is a way that I am, I'm using a gift that I've been given by God. Um, and you do for sure have a gift for, for <laughs> writing and putting words together. Um, and it, and you, and that's being given to serve other people. Um, and whether those are fellow believers, followers of Jesus or not, right. um, then you, like our, our serving is for, for everyone. It's not f- restricted to other Jesus people. Exactly. Right? So. <laughs> exactly. Like I think we're, yeah, I think we as Christians have a tendency to think, Oh, I'm writing this Christian book for Christians, right. but do Christians need, do Christians need it? Or do you know, it's, it's a, 
for me, it's a constant like yeah. war with myself over who my, who I want my audience to be. And so, well, and it's even yeah. like, um, when you, when you think about the novel as well, and I think about my own fiction writing in the same way, um, again, there's something that can come into the novel. Like, I don't know. I haven't read, I haven't, I wasn't an early reader for your novel, so I haven't read it. You can but, be. Um, yeah, I guess like. so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, so I haven't read it, but like my, I, my question is like, is, is mm-hmm. God like overt in the novel or is it? Um, not yet. Okay. The novel, yes. <laughs> fine. Okay. Well, the novel, you got to remember, um, and to me, this is really important. Um, uh, when you, as a fiction writer, as a novelist, um, wherever you choose to set your story, you there's a culture to, to that story. So for me setting my story in the low country, in the South, the natural outcome is that is you do have a lot of people who go to church. So, so sending them to church on a regular basis is not an abnormal thing to see in any Southern fiction work, whether it's general market or CBA or whatever. Um, but what I've done and hopefully done without, I really don't enjoy, um, novels that break, out of fiction world and go into, uh, to preaching mode and then come back to fit, you know, you kind of have, yeah, I think that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. No, no, there's not that. It's a very natural, very organic kind of process. You see them at the church, the Presbyterian church actually on the Island. Um, it's the oldest church. Yes. It's one, it's the oldest church on the Island. It's one of the oldest churches actually in, in the United States. Um, it's still an active congregation, very active there at Edisto. And um, so you see them there and you see Cora Ann's spiritual journey is all about this accepting of forgiveness that she really, and truly, she never comes out and says this, but she's not even a Christian. Like she, she's never even accepted Christ's forgiveness, much less the forgiveness of, of this family that says, it's okay that you, you know, you cause this accident. It's, it's not okay, but it's, we forgive you. It, it, yeah. These things, you know, um, see, this is what I, this is so. what I love about, about fiction as well is because pe- different people are going to come to that. You know, someone will come to your book, they will read it and they will not have really grappled with grace and, right. and, and this can open a door for somebody where, where a sermon, where a sermon, maybe, maybe, and maybe it's somebody who sat in church for years and, and mm-hmm. has heard the message over and over again, but, but it's, it's a story that is actually going to help them right. open, open that up for them or open that world for them. Right. And, and I think as many different ways, I mean, I think, I think sermons are great. I mm-hmm. <laughs> preach them Obviously. every week, so, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, but I, they're not, they're not the, the only way that God is going to use uh, words to impact people. Um, and I really think fiction is a, is a great way to do that. Um, I mean, so I, you know, I've got, I've got two <laughs> fiction books too. Um, yeah. and, and mine are not even like they're, I mean, I guess, yeah, technically there's a church, uh, at the beginning of the books, but, um, but they're, they're fantasy books. Like they're in another, uh, yeah. another world and all of that kind of stuff. And for sure there's, um, and people can just read them and really have no clue that really this is about God at all. Um, but it is, uh, so I'm sure like Christians who, who read it are going to know that, and, mm-hmm. But then others might just sort of receive something, and you know, actually, I have forgiveness is one of the heart uh, right. themes in in my books as well, and that's pretty overt, actually. Um, but even just that, why that's important as a value. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fantasy fiction does that so well because if you really stop to think about it, God is. I mean, how do you even explain that sometimes to people who like, who don't have a frame of reference? Like it is, he's, he is almost fantastical and like this, this, you know, it's just something that is so not of this world. Like we, I think sometimes want to put God in this perfect little box that we have created for him. And, you know, there's the Jesus of this culture and the Jesus of this culture and the, and you fit in this box and we forget that, that he's much bigger than that. God, God cannot be boxed. God's not going to have a neat cliche platform. He, right. <laughs> he is bigger than that. And that's why you see, like you can see his, I think you pick up any piece of great literature and you see this repetition of themes over and over and over again. And it's because we're all 
those are what we're looking for. We're looking for grace and we're looking for forgiveness and we're looking for spiritual understanding and, um, writing fantasy fiction, reading fantasy fiction, which I, I, I don't write it at all, but I have great love of C.S. Lewis and Harry Potter and Tolkien. And, um, I think, um, those writers are able to capture essences of, of God that, that I sometimes can't in my realistic fiction. Like it's right. almost harder for me to, um, to, to try to explain it. Right. I guess. Sorry, right. something you just said made me think about how yeah. you know, God, God is not being, uh, God isn't restricted to write in a particular genre. <laughs> no, know, like, he's not. Kind of like you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, not, I mean, even just look at the Bible and how many different yes. uh, genres we have just within yes. scripture, right? So, you've oh, got, absolutely. Um, so many yes. different ways that God chooses to communicate. So many ways he tells so, those stories, yes. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, can we? Can I ask you a little bit about mm-hmm. uh, your family as well? And I know you've got a super busy house. Um, I saw. I think I saw you. This is audio only, but I get to see. So your daughter is just peeking behind your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, they they built uh, a fort back here. Matthew can yeah. see it. it. They built a fort, <laughs> and I think they're in it and pretending to be stealthy. That's so, great. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, <laughs> so. I, You've got four kids, and mm-hmm. I would love to hear how would you talk about the spiritual life of your family? Um, okay, so I do. My husband and I have been married for fifteen years this July, and he is like Joshua is a rock. Like I am, you know, that highly creative, disorganized, can't be pinned down kind of person. I operate on ish time, and Joshua is like a, just a a solid, steady rock. And he does not get caught up in trends and he does not get caught up in what social media is saying. And I'll get, I'll be like, honey, can you believe that, you know, so-and-so said this or so-and-so this person, you know, and he'll be like, I don't care because this is what the Bible says. (laughs) He's just really, he's really rock steady. Um, And so we have four kids and Madeline is um, almost 13 and Annabelle is 11 and Amelia is seven and Gus is five. And, um, so we have tried a variety of different things, I think in our family and we don't have, I think it's important for people to understand that, um, cause you can look at someone on the internet and think that they have it all together and they are so spiritual and <laughs> we do not. And, um, we, we have had times where we've had a really good daily routine, a family, a family Bible study or a family devotion. And then we have times like we're kind of right now floundering a little bit. We've got, um, we always come back to the Jesus calling devotion for kids. We just have always enjoyed that. And we come back to it a good bit and read it at breakfast or dinner time or whenever we're all together. Um, but I think the biggest thing we do in our spiritual life at home is Joshua and I try very hard to, be the same people at home as we are at church, as we are at the community theater, as we are with our friends, so that our children are not seeing, oh, at home, mom is a crazy lady, but at church, she's all sweet and kind and loving. I never right. want them so to you're think. Just, so you're just crazy lady I'm crazy church. all the time. Yeah, right? pretty much, so pretty much. People know. <laughs> they don't even ask me to volunteer for things anymore. They're like, Lindsay can't handle it. You're right, I can't. Um, but... Yeah. So I think that's really important. And talking to them, like whenever I have a, I mean, I had a tantrum the other day, <laughs> I didn't know the word for it. The house was messy and I was super tired and I had to go somewhere and I didn't want to go. And, you know, and Joshua um, made me go take a nap and yeah. that was much better after that. <laughs> and, it, but having the humbleness to then say to my children, I'm sorry, like mom didn't handle that right. This is how I should have handled it. Um, you know, and we have tried in particular with our family, you know, we had this very, um, you and I were chatting a little bit earlier about my daughter's, um, neurological condition. And so we had a very dark, very, very frightening time in our family when they could not diagnose her. And there was a brief period where they thought it was a tumor. They thought it might potentially be inoperable. And, you know, we had to kind of go to that dark place in our minds. And, um, So for our family, then coming out of that and having my kids really see my husband and me, um, you know, hitting our knees in church, having them see people praying with us and over us. And then, um, now whenever 
I just hope that they see that we continue to do that, that that wasn't just a one-time thing, that it was something we constantly come back to um, with the idea of who, who you are at church has to be who you are in the rest of your life. And so if I, and you are there being raised in a world where Christianity can look a certain way and it can be shiny and it can be pretty and people love to trot out those cliches. And I think, um, for our spiritual practice at home, what's important to us is that we always come back to what is the truth and what is the rock. And I hope they hear from me that, especially in regards to their sister and what, um, you know, this, it started three years ago. So Madeline was 10 and Annabelle was eight and Amelia was four and Gus was a baby. And when you're 10 year old, kneels beside you at the altar in church because you are weeping your heart out because you truly believe that maybe your daughter is going to die. It, it changes your family's spiritual practice. It kind of, it just changes the way you um, view where you are. And we, um, people loved to say to us during that time, you know, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. And I tell my daughters now that that's not true, that God's never going to give you more than he can handle. That, that you're going to have plenty of stuff you can't handle. And the reason for that is because you're not meant to handle it. It's not meant to be yours alone. Um, and so I just hope that one of the things we're teaching them and whether we're teaching it to them consistently and whether we're with them in the word every day, which we wish we were, but we, uh, to be frankly honest, are not every single day. Um, we just hope that they see that the place we always come back to is that truth? Is that is our biblical foundation and our truth of what we believe? And that, um, you know, I've, I've gone through the Apostles' Creed with them and certain things, and just talk, talking to them about that foundational belief. Hmm. Um, this is what um, mommy and daddy believe, and this is what we're teaching you to believe. And there's going to come a time when you have to make a choice about what what you believe. Um, and we do that now with everything. Like comes up in television shows, it comes up in music they're listening to, it comes up they were homeschooled this year, but, um, and it wasn't because we were trying to keep them from things. That wasn't the case at all. But, um, but it has come up with people they've met friendships they've been exposed to, you know, we're raising our kids in a really different society than the society that I was raised in or you were raised in. And, Mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of cultural change, some for the better, some arguably maybe not. It's just kind of, but always, having the open conversation with them, I think is the biggest spiritual practice that we've been able to give our children is I want them to be able to come to me and say, mom, I was watching this show and this is what happened and it made me uncomfortable and maybe I shouldn't watch it anymore. And then for us to be able to talk about what we believe in regards to that and bring it back to their real life situations. That's why I love asking parents about (laughs) what they're doing in their spiritual life with their kids, because I I feel like there was, you know, there's a couple of things you said, one in particular that, uh, that I think everybody needs to hear and learn from, um, the, 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 the cliche, um, that is, that's a terrible cliche. God, uh, Mm -hmm. won't give you more than you can handle. Um, you know, there's some cliches that are cliches because they're true. Um, I don't know how that one caught on. It's, I mean, it's a total, it's, it's first of all, a misquote from scripture. Like it's not actually what the scripture says. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, uh, um, but I think you're absolutely right. I love that, that you brought that up and that you're able to, to show that to your kids that like, to me, this is, this is heart of the Christian faith is, and the whole biblical witness is really about like, here are these people, these human beings are often in really difficult and hard circumstances. And what do they do? They turn to God Mm -hmm. and cry out to God for deliverance. And the story Mm -hmm. of scripture is that the overall um, movement of God is towards our salvation and, and Mm -hmm. to help us. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't always work out how we think it's going to work out in the moment. And again, you can go to the Bible and you can realize, Oh, well, yeah, God's answer to that came 500 years after they were crying out. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So the people who were first crying out, they probably didn't have such a great time. Um, But the movement of history of, of God, of what God is doing is always towards salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. So I I think that's a really great thing though, to say, to, to realize that 
yeah, it's God who's handling this. And our job is to turn to God, to trust in God, mm-hmm. um, and to allow God to, to do what God is going to do. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, and it also, I mean, I, we talked a little bit before as well about some of the difficult uh, times you've had as a family. And I just think your witness for your kids to be able to say, you know, here's where we go for help and we go there together. Um, and you can see, uh, they can see their parents doing that. I think that's just fantastic. So I want to commend you for that. Thank you. Um, I hope they see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's yeah. tough. Um, what about, uh, what about your own, uh, spiritual practice? Like I know that, um, I, and I think it's fine too. Like I've said lots of times on this podcast, like I think we go through seasons and also, um, like I know in my own family life, we read the Bible when the three of us are together at supper. But if anybody mm-hmm. else is there as a guest, it's like my daughter right. doesn't want to read the Bible. <laughs> <when there's guests. laughs> um, and we're not always together for supper. We'll have, mm-hmm. I've got meetings to go to. So it's, it's infrequent. Um, but, uh, uh, but I, and I think that's just family life. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's okay Absolutely. if you're not totally consistent, but I think parents have to be intentional about how mm-hmm. they're uh, talking about God and, and faith in their home. I think there's a movement kind of a, down here. I don't know if you've seen it as much up there um, where we've kind of, I think we've come to the realization that we raised a whole generation of people to be very dependent on the church to give their children spiritual oh. training. Yeah, yeah, And it wasn't being followed through at home. Whereas your home's got to be your first place. If you're not doing it at home, then ultimately those children will leave the church because they don't see the value in it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that's a movement in the South because I think there's still a lot of people in the South going to church. There are, there are. And there's a huge like push toward, you know, you need, this is like training up families to what you can do at home to, to yeah. make this an intentional part of your life. Cause that just um, happened a lot faster yeah. in Canada. Right. So the result of that, where we are, and and probably in northern states to mm-hmm. to maybe a lesser extent than in Canada, but for us, the result of that is you've now got um, it's not really just kids; like you've got adults who have children, and those adults they are the ones who left church when mm-hmm. they were teenagers, right? And so those children now who are now in their teenage years and are starting to move into university, even there's no there's zero context. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and often I think, you know, what's happened for generations was that religious instruction was left to the church and also to the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I know, like, I remember when I was a kid, uh, school prayer stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the Lord's prayer and that, that stopped happening. I think when I was in grade six. Um, and so in Canada that started coming out kind of in the 1980s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think there was quite a bit of outcry from Christians about that, but I'm surprised that like, shouldn't the response have been so therefore we are going to take responsibility for our own children's spiritual lives yes. in the home yes, rather than someone mm-hmm. else should be taking care of this. And we should, you know, we should be mad that the schools are, uh, that there's pressure right. for the schools to take it out. Yeah. Okay. You can do that. But at the same time, teach your kids. Exactly. Exactly. If you want them to learn something, then you have to expose them to it. You know, I want my children to be wildly voracious readers. They weren't getting that at the public school. It's not their teacher's fault. It's a huge curriculum issue. I always think think of sports, like I I get sports metaphors in, but like parents have no issue whatsoever with raising their kids to be fans of a very specific team, Mm -hmm. right? Like they have Mm -hmm. no problem saying you are not allowed to cheer for uh, the Montreal Canadiens. You have to be a Winnipeg Jets (laughs) fan. Like you don't have a choice about that. But when it comes to religion, we'll say, oh, no, 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 we can't force anything. Like we can't. uh, Right. I think that's just really interesting that it, it, when it comes yes. to something that is most important that is a fantastic we're really hesitant to yeah. uh, to to instruct our kids in a particular direction and um, i think maybe some of that is that we feel maybe i mean people feel inadequate maybe they you know mm-hmm. they're you know it's it goes back to, but it, i think it, like you said it goes back to that being intentional and being proactive and recognizing okay again if your child wasn't getting something academically in school you felt they needed you would supplement it at home <laughs> Yeah. So you should, you know, the spiritual practice has got to be 
and it's got, it's got to be at home. And I, well. I agree with you about inadequacy. And I think that's absolutely true. I, I'm, I'm also a big believer that we don't have to make it really that hard. No, that's, um, I love your, the six. Yeah. I, and I told you, I'm going to blog about it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah, the, the six, six tips simple, for staying six consistent. Tips, yes, yeah. for staying consistent. Um, so I, I think, I think there's that, but I also think there's a place for study. And I, like, I, I love that you're saying, you know, if, if one, if one of your children is having trouble academically, you would help them. But lots of parents, you get to a point where that might be true. And you actually look at what your child is doing. I know, especially when they get into high school and things like that, and you look, mm-hmm. how can I help you? And you're reading it thinking, I can't yeah. remember this yeah, at all. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And so, but the best parents in that situation will then still sit with their child and try to help them and will go and they'll read the textbook and they'll mm-hmm. go and learn mm-hmm. what they need to learn in order to provide the assistance. Exactly. exactly. And yet in the spiritual life, we just say, well, I, I you know, I feel inadequate. So I'm not going to yeah. take that step, but yeah. it wouldn't that, shouldn't that really be a motivator for what well, I'm going to go and learn. Mm-hmm. And I think it about goes back this to myself. That. So, that idea that we, we have a tendency to think oh, it's, it, we have to do it. And if I do it wrong, then I'm going to have messed this child up as opposed to thinking I'm going to do the best I can with what God's given me. And I'm going to trust him for the rest. Yeah. And we, we don't do that. We, you know, we think, well, I'm not smart enough and I don't have, you know, I can't, I can't explain this spiritual concept to my child. So mm-hmm. rather than saying it wrong, I'm going to not say anything. Yeah. And, um, it's, yeah, it, it, doesn't make it better. And I but think we, actually, if you yeah. can get some modicum of consistency, like a little bit of consistency, even mm-hmm. in just reading the Bible and you don't necessarily yes. need devotional material, although it can really help. Um, yeah. but kids are great at making stuff up. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. so it's a great thing. You know, if you're reading something and your child has a question about it saying, I don't really understand this. If mm-hmm. you don't understand it either, then that's fine. Just say, well, I don't understand it either. And then just go back to them and say, well, what do you think it means? Yes. And they'll, and they'll tell you. They'll, yeah. yeah. Uh, this There's... happened to me actually the other day yeah. where, I mean, I knew what I thought, but, and I can't quite remember what Juliet came up with, but she, um, it was something about Jesus healing people. Um, oh, I think it was something like, well, why is he healing so many people? <laughs> I thought that was a good question. Um, people ask the other question of why didn't he heal everyone? Yeah. Um, but she asked, well, why is he healing so many people? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, wait, what do you think? And she said, well, I think if he's healing lots of people, then people are going to hear about that. And then more people are going to go and see him and then they'll get more of his teaching. And so they'll be taught by him. And that would be a good thing. Yeah. I thought, yeah, that's probably a pretty good reason to go around <laughs> healing people. That's, that's pretty good cause yeah, like analysis. I like there. that. I like that's it. that's yeah. great. You know, awesome. so I think you know, kids will ask what questions they're going to ask, and it's okay to say I don't know, or just say, well, what do you think about that? I don't know. Like, um, so I think we just yeah. maybe don't need to make it so complicated. Um, we don't. But it's, but it's also just taking that step and having the courage and the confidence to say, look, we're going to do this. Yes. Um, and to deal with the sometimes complaints about it and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. The same way you deal with other complaints from your kids about yes. other things that you've decided you're yes. going to do as a family. You know, they don't yeah. like math and we make them do it anyway. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah. But um, I think you were asking about my personal spiritual practice. Yeah, I was. So we and then we kept tangent. going, yeah. Um, well, I will say I get up. I never thought I was a morning person. And then I had all these kids who get up early <laughs> And I really had to have some time for myself. And I was still teaching when I initially started doing this. I used to teach um, middle school. And, and so I, Gus would get up and, or Amelia, whichever one it was, they, they nursed really early at like 5 a.m. And then they would go back to sleep. And so I just started staying up. Hmm. And um, I had always, ever since I was a teenager, I had always tried to, to have a quiet, you know, that we call it a quiet time and having that, um, that, that daily reading of a devotion or the Bible or ref- and that daily reflection. Um, but I had gotten out of practice as an adult. And then, get, so getting for me, the ritualistic of getting back into the practice of every morning I get up and it's the first thing I do, I get coffee and I sit and I read a devotion or I just, if I have a particular passage of the Bible I'm studying, I work on that. If I have a Bible study I'm working through with a group, I work on that. Um, 
but it's that for me, it's that ritualistic. This is what I have to do in the morning. It is as needful for me now as that cup of coffee. And when I don't do it, I recognize that my day is tends to be off kilter from, because I haven't put myself in that, that spirit, that spiritual place of that quietness and that reflection and that listening. And sometimes I will just sit and be still and I will listen. Um, and I think we don't do enough of that. I think we do a whole lot of, um, telling God what we want and we don't do enough just quietness and just trying to listen and trying to look and trying to, um, hear. And so there are just times where I just have to have that silence. And for me, the only time I can get it is early in the morning. I am just, you know, I, I, by nine o'clock at night, I'm dead. I'm not Joshua sometimes will try to have like deep discussions with me at nine 30 and I'm like half asleep and it's just, you know, it just doesn't work. Um, so, so I think, um, I think for me, like you have to just kind of find that, 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 that thing that works for you and that, and that method that works for you. And, and like, I love what you said about seasons too, because for me, it's some seasons I'm really intense and I'm working through a, um, a, a intense Bible study with a group or, and then other times like kind of right now I'm reading Oswald Chambers and I'm you know, if something has happened the day before, or I expect it to happen that day that triggers a verse or something that I want to look up, I'll look that up and spend some time there. I had a friend randomly talking about Elisha the other day and how Elisha was the prophet with swag. And so I, <laughs> funny. And so I, um, so I, I spent a couple days reading back over like those passages in the Old Testament about Elisha and, um, just the, the quietness, the listening, the just, I just, you know, I get up every day and it's just kind of like, okay, Lord, before I die, cause I also write in the morning. And so before I dive into this manuscript, what do you want me to see? Mm. Um, and that's how the, the new project I'm working on the verse that I'm using as my, um, like spiritual guidance for it came about from a, a morning devotion. It just, it came up, it came up in whatever I happened to be reading that morning. And I just looked at it and I thought, that's my story. That's, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. So. Now, now, you, you, now you've brought up a new project. You want to know about the new project? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the new project is, um, well, I was working on a sequel to the book that's coming out okay. and I put that aside for a little bit because I talked to an agent at a conference and she encouraged me to pursue this new, new project. It's, um, it's another Southern fiction. It's a little, uh, Stillwaters is really, people call it lyrical and they tell me how comforting it is and how it made them cry. And it's just really beautiful language. And this, and I worry now that this new book is so different that people are going to be like, what are you writing Lindsay? Um, the new book is kind of Southern Gothic. Uh, it's a story about a teenage girl who is being, who grows up in this, um, tiny little small town in North Georgia and her community has been divided for years and years because there's this awful tragedy that happened and all these football players died. And culturally here, small towns, the football thing is just huge. Yeah. Um, and we almost kind of revere those kids as mm -hmm. we, we put them up on these pedestals that they can't possibly live up to. Right. And um, so the story is about what happens when you've got this community that's been living in the wake of this tragedy. And then all the secrets start to come out and she discovers that um, the man, the, her brother was responsible for the tragedy. And then ultimately more and more layers of the secret begin to come out. And um, Addie is not who she thinks she is. Okay. Don't tell us anymore. So, We're going to yeah. give away stuff like so, yeah, well in advance of it coming out. So yeah. exactly. So it's a, um, it's kind of a dark gritty story, but it, it goes back. The overarching theme of that particular novel is forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and the verse is about, um, uh, sorrow of the world produces death, but godly sorrow produces repentance. Hmm. And so, um, so anyway, so it's, a, it's a, it's kind of a dark, gritty kind of story in a lot of ways. Um, I'm loving writing it. It's just really, really different, but it's, but it was so fun. I started it and I thought, oh my God, I'm writing another book about how far can you go? How, you know, it's, it's a kind of a prodigal story, um, yeah, yeah. you know, ultimately in the end. Um, well, this is partly finding so, like your, your core theme. I mean, it's a good, apparently it it's is. a good theme for people to, 
to grab onto and to grapple with and to have an understanding of grace and forgiveness. Um, we need to let you go. And uh, it's been children. so good. Yeah, you got to go feed your kids, right? <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, it's been so great to talk to you. And um, I'm so glad you were able to come and join me today and just share a little bit about your writing and about your life um, and to uh, hopefully inspire a few people um, with, uh, with delving a little more into grace. I think that'll be a really important thing for folks. So thanks so much, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me, Matthew. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed it. So. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.